T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. The Labor Day weekend is always the unofficial start to the political season. You'll probably see politicians at parades and other events all over the area tomorrow. But it seems like this round of elections has been going on forever. On ballots statewide, of course, we'll be voting for governor, but the race for Illinois attorney general is really starting to heat up now. This week, we sit down with the Democratic contender. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is Chicago State Senator Kwame Raoul, the Democratic standard bearer in the attorney general's race. He's been in the Senate since 2004 when he was appointed to the legislative seat vacated by Barack Obama when he went to the U.S. Senate. Who knows what happened to him after that? Anyway, he's (laughs) Kwame Raoul's been comfortably reelected ever since. Uh, Senator Raoul pushed for legislation involving voting rights. He is fought for domestic violence uh, legislation, court reform, pensions, ethics reform, among other things. Now he faces Central Illinois attorney and former Miss America, Eric, Erica Harold. Uh, both campaigns have started running commercials, and by the looks of things so far, it's going to be a hard-fought contest. Kwame Raoul, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, let's talk about those commercials first. Um, you're hitting Ms. Harold uh, hard on some things that she said uh, a couple of decades ago. She basically uh, came down on uh, same-sex couples who want to get married and raise kids of their own. She apparently said she'd prefer to place a child in a home with a heterosexual couple that had past problems with child abuse than in a home with a same-sex couple. Erica Harold says she doesn't remember saying that, but if she did, then she says it was wrong and she couldn't be more clear about her feelings now in favor of same-sex adoptions. Um, We're talking about something that happened when she was 19. Why is it an issue now? Well, you know... I agree that it's okay for people to have evolved from positions that uh, they may have had when they were less mature. But the first uh, point I I focus on is her response to whether or not she made the statement. She says uh, she does not recall. If I had made such a statement as extreme as that statement, I would recall whether or not I made it. Now, she says she's evolved to a point of uh, being supportive of uh, same-gender adoption. Well, the ideal structure for for adoption for any family is a family that's together in a marital bond. Four years ago, uh, running for Congress, Erica Harrell indicated that she opposes marriage equality. So I question the extent to which she has truly evolved from when she did make the statements uh, some 20 years ago. Um, let's talk about values here, uh, because obviously the philosophies are going to be the real stark difference between the two of you. What difference does it make as Attorney General whether it's a progressive Democrat or a conservative Republican 
in that offense? Well, uh, you know, my opponent uh, has indicated that her personal views don't matter um, to the to extent that she wins and serves as attorney general. Um, and I disagree with that because, you know, I've actually served as a prosecutor and I know that uh, there's something called prosecutorial discretion. You have discretion as to whether or not you pursue a case. You have uh, discretion as attorney general uh, as to what wh- what extent uh, you defend uh, the laws of the state, including marriage equality, including a law we just passed to make sure that we preserve Roe v. Wade as the law of the land in the state of Illinois. And so uh, if one has a view uh, that a woman, for example, shouldn't have the access to reproductive health care, even when she's been raped or the victim of incest, uh, that personal view will matter if the law that we've passed as as a state uh, are, is being sued, as is the case for HB 40, uh, is being uh, uh, challenged, as is the case for HB 40. So it'll be the attorney general who is charged with defending that. So that personal view is is essential to uh, what extent the attorney general defends the law of the land. Now, uh, aside from uh, Ms. Harrell's own statements that she would uphold the law and defend any law, uh, regardless of her personal views, is there no recourse at the state level if an attorney general did not fulfill his or her obligation to defend the state uh, or defend a particular law? Well, it would be very challenging. Uh, You know, there has been some dispute in the past between uh, lawyers for the governor and, and the attorney general's office, but the attorney general is charged as to, uh, with the responsibility of being the state's and the people's chief uh, uh, legal officer. And so that is what they're elected uh, to do. You know, I might add that um, the other aspect of the attorney general's office is one of advocacy. Now, people say to me, uh, Kwame, we're going to miss you in the General Assembly. And I tell them, no, you're not. Uh, Lisa Madigan and her office is very active, weighing in on behalf of policy changes and against uh, policy changes that are being proposed. Uh, in fact, I've spoken to Lisa Madigan uh, recently, and she said uh, she's passed more laws as attorney general than she did uh, <laughs> during her tenure in the General Assembly. Mm. Um, on another values front, and we're going to switch gears here a little bit, uh, um, Mayor Emanuel said after that uh, horrifyingly record-setting weekend of shootings that uh, Chicago had recently that there needs to be more lessons in morality taught in homes in Chicago. And uh, you uh, seem to take some issue with that. Can we talk about that a yeah, little bit? Yeah, you know, and, 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 you know, I was asked the question um, in Springfield on our Democrat Day, and it was, it was framed uh, to me in a manner that uh, he made a statement about lack of morals in a community. And I responded to that characterization of, of what the mayor said. And I think generalization of, of a c- communities that have been devastated in so many different ways, uh, 
as to the level of morals within the community. Communities that are devastated by violence have people of high moral within them, people uh, who have to withstand walking up and down the street with, in fear of that violence, people who do everything they can to provide for their children. There may be kids who do, in fact, come home to homes uh, without a parent, but we have to explore uh, the circumstances that lead to those situations. Is it a mother who's working two or three jobs to pr- provide for, for her kid and doesn't have access to child care because uh, the governor uh, is, is leading our state into impasse and withholding funds for, for, for child care? What are the circumstances that lead to um, kids uh, perhaps not having that guidance within their home? It's not it's not as easy of a question as as, as uh, or uh, or an answer to offer that there's just a lack of morals. We have to we have to ask ourselves why and what responsibility we hold as policy ma- makers. It, but is it a part of the mix that has to be addressed as as we move forward? One thing among many things. I know we you know I think too often I can, we, we we try to pose it as something that has one solution. Yeah, and I and I I'm I'm always adverse to trying to look for one solution to the to a problem that has evolved over over time um, from lack of investment. I I tell you, you go to any community that's had a lack of investment that has had deteriorating schools and uh, uh, lack of access to health care, lack to mental health um, uh, services. Yes, that's going to be a community of higher levels of, of, of violence. And so to the extent we start trying to address all of those problems and we deal with another thing that, you know, it's important to me as a candidate for attorney general to try to address is the trauma that is experienced in these communities. You look at a young person who comes up in a neighborhood of uh, normalized violence and having to deal with the associated trauma of that, that young person, whether or not somebody shot directly at them or shot them, is a victim of that gun violence because they experience the trauma of that gun violence. And if that becomes normalized, somebody who starts out as a victim can evolve into being a perpetrator of that same violence. Craig, I started my career, my legal career, as a prosecutor in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. And I served in juvenile court. I served bo- both on the child protection side and the delinquency side. When I was in, on the delinquency side, and we did background checks on kids who had committed some crime, a high percentage of time, the same kid had been in as a victim of child abuse and neglect. I don't think the two visits to juvenile court were disassociated. Mm-hmm. Um, let's look, while we're on this subject, uh, We can also talk about some of the trauma associated with um, the relations between police and the community. And uh, I understand you are uh, fully in support of Attorney General Madigan in what's turned out to be a standoff uh, in the uh, draft consent decree on police reform that the Attorney General's office is basically pushing forward and you would inherit that mantle, assuming that it's not all taken care of by the time you would uh, get there as Attorney General. Um, Attorney General Madigan says officers should have to report every time they draw their weapons and point it at someone. 
Mayor Emanuel and Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson have resisted that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Johnson says the requirement could cause officers to hesitate before pulling their guns. Uh, What is your feeling about that rationale and about the the proposed rule? Listen, I've been um, very involved um, as a policymaker in dealing with the question of law enforcement reform and and I, I was uh, the chief sponsor of a, a law that uh, requires more reporting from law enforcement uh, officers. Now, when we negotiated this, uh, law enforcement was at the table, and, and that they did bring forth a concern that they're being overburdened with reporting, and some of it is being driven locally. I think it's, uh, it's, it's worthy to look at the things that they have to report and um to maybe relieve that burden some. However, when you draw a weapon, I think uh, that reporting of such an incident uh, should be prioritized uh, above uh, some of the other things that they may have to report. Uh, I can't imagine, um, um, well, I can't imagine because I do recall when I was a youngster uh, just running down the street having an, uh, a weapon drawn on me. And that's quite a traumatic I- I- experience. I was mistaken uh, for somebody who had uh, committed a crime. And, and uh, that is a traumatic experience. And, and, and so um, to the extent that we are uh, requiring re- uh, officers to report anything, uh, that would probably uh, trump a lot of the other uh, things we would require them to report. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would imagine, uh, or as you, as you said, you you don't have to imagine it. That you you would expect that if somebody drew a weapon and pointed it at someone, it would be in a police report somewhere. The fact that you could not mention that, I I mean, I want I wonder about that. Yeah, I, it, I wonder how you could give a a relation of what happened without saying I pointed my gun at this person. I agree with that. I mean, I, I don't think there's uh, that much to, to debate there. Uh, you are listening to WBBM News Radio's Ad Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is State Senator Kwame Raoul, Democratic candidate for Illinois Attorney General. Well, let's uh, talk about some of the individual issues. Uh, we've kind of already talked a little bit about a woman's right to choose, but let's talk about another issue that seems to divide uh, divide the two of you, and that is corruption in Illinois government. Um, the Republicans, including your opponent, mm-hmm. uh, suggest that the dem- a Democratic Party-endorsed candidate can't be trusted uh, to go after corruption in Illinois government. House Speaker Michael Madigan is the uh, chair of the state Democrats. So how do you reassure voters that, as Attorney General, you wouldn't uh, look the other way when things are going wrong within the Democratic hierarchy. Well, I'm the only candidate in this race who served as a prosecutor, who knows uh, what it is to be presented with evidence that you have to pursue or make decisions of whether you, or not you pursue. Uh, it's, it's an easy thing as a candidate, uh, as a politician, to say, oh, there's all this corruption out there that... Uh, I would go after as attorney general when you've never served as a prosecutor before in, in your life. Certainly, um, the posture that I've taken in the role that I've served as already has led to um, 
an office within the attorney general's office, the public access counselor. Uh, That was created uh, by way of legislation that I was the chief sponsor of because I believe, just as Justice Brandeis uh, once said, that uh, sunshine is the best cleanser to political corruption. Uh, And I do believe that uh, the office that I helped create within the attorney general's office can afford to have more resources put into it. I think uh, you can deter political corruption uh, by making sure people are watching. Now, that said, uh, it's been alleged by some that Lisa Madigan hasn't uh, done enough to fight political corruption. Well, I've asked the question of the attorney general's office, and and they've given me a long list of cases that they've actually prosecuted. They've prosecuted Democrats and Republicans alike. Uh, They haven't shown uh, bias based on on party. Uh, And so the evidence is there. What is disturbing to me in this conversation, though, is the governor most recently said he was supporting my opponent specifically to go after uh, an individual, the speaker, uh, for, to, to prosecute him. And when he was asked by journalists uh, what crime, he says, well, I hope he has committed a crime. We have to be very careful that we do not over-politicize uh, the office of a prosecutor uh, because a prosecutor's office should not be used to settle uh, political vendettas. Well, and we've seen, <laughs> I think we're seeing examples of at least attempts to do that at the, uh, even at the federal level. Um, but how do you resist pressures to do things like that? And let's face it, even as a, uh, you know, as a, as a Democrat, if you were in that office, there would probably be some times where you would feel pressure from some Democrats to go after Republicans. What, what, what dictates what I would do as uh, attorney general is the same thing that dictated what I did as a prosecutor are the facts and the law. If there are allegations of wrongdoing, no matter who's behind the wrongdoing, they should be investigated if they're credible allegations. And if that investigation leads to the uh, conclusion that a crime was committed, I, as attorney general, would do everything within my power uh, to pursue a prosecution of those crimes, no matter who committed the crimes. Um, Let's talk about some things that probably still need to be pursued. Uh, Sexual harassment in government circles. How should, how can the state better uh, handle accusations of sexual harassment and discrimination and the cases, uh, you know, we have an inspector g- general now just for that kind of thing, but there's some questions about how much power that person has. Right, and I think, um, you know, it was, it's unfortunate that the Executive Eth- Ethics Commission uh, went a while without even appointing uh, uh, an inspector, legislative inspector general. Years. That's, that's unconscionable. Um, and... Um, you know, had I been on the ethics commission, I would make sure that that uh, wouldn't happen. Uh, we, we have one now. And uh, and I have to credit um, some of my colleagues, um, and it was a, a, a committee of all women, uh, bipartisan, uh, that came up with the legislative proposals that we have passed to empower the inspector general to independently uh, investigate uh, uh, claims of uh, sexual harassment. We have to create safe 
spaces for those to come forth uh, with allegations and um, they shouldn't be interrupted or, or, or created. Uh, the, there shouldn't be an environment created uh, that would lead one to believe that there's not independence in um, the ability of an inspector general to uh, uh, effectively uh, investigate those claims. Listen, um, the question of uh, the focus on sexual harassment right now is a good one um, because we've learned uh, it's not just in government, it's not just in Springfield, it's in newsrooms, it's in, in uh, it's, it's employers uh, all over the state, all over uh, the country we've, learned, we've heard stories of. And, and so what we need to do is we need to uh, create safe spaces and we need to respect those uh, who've had the courage to, to step forth. How troubled have you been that a number of the cases have come from within the uh, House Speaker Michael Madigan's political organization and his government uh, offices? I'm troubled by that. I'm troubled by uh, allegations um, in all sectors. Uh, you know, I'm troubled by allegations, uh, whether it's uh, an organization that's uh, connected to the profession that I'm in or 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 any other profession. And and uh, I think it's a good thing that we are now having conversations about it and that those conversations are extending beyond the question of sexual harassment. They're uh, extending to questions about equality and, and uh, bullying and, uh, and equal opportunity for women. We haven't talked much about consumer protection up to this point. I want to get a couple of questions in because arguably it's the biggest part of the job. Um, what should be the primary focus or the top targets when it comes to consumer protection in that office? Well, I think um, one of them is uh, technology. Um, you know, we are evolving in technology uh, to the point that we have devices in our home that we talk to that uh, um, order our groceries for us and uh, do all sorts of tasks for us. And sometimes those devices listen to us when we don't think we're talking to them. We have children uh, at younger and younger ages who walk around with smartphones and tablets and access to computers, and they may sit in our living room or in their room, and uh, we think our young children are uh, safe because they're under the roof of our home, and uh, they're actually in a different room than, than we see them in. They're in chat rooms, and guess who are in those, those chat rooms with them? Uh, child predators, um, child pornographers. Um, the attorney general is charged with uh, being the head of a task force. It's called the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force in uh, 101 of the 102 counties of the state. Uh, Cook County State's attorney is charged with ICAC in the, in the county of Cook. But the attorney general is charged with it throughout the state. And uh, it's important uh, in that role to make sure that the attorney general's office and law enforcement agencies throughout the state are equipped to protect, I think, our most precious resource, our ch children. Uh, and certainly as uh, the next attorney general, uh, that would top my list uh, as an area of consumer protection uh, that we need to make sure that we keep up with technology and we make sure we keep uh, the families of those children's children up on uh, technology to so it's in order to protect our, our so children. What kind of resources or powers are there at the attorney general's expo disposure uh, disposal 
uh, to address those very kinds of concerns. Yeah, as I said, there's a commander in charge, um, in ch- charge with uh, with um, heading up that task force. Now we need to make sure. Um, I've spoken to professionals who have been involved with uh, uncovering child pornography, mm-hmm. and um, they've shared with me that not all law enforcement agencies are trained uh, to uncover uh, online uh, predators of children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, have, we need to make sure that uh, we collaborate with law enforcement throughout the state to make sure that that training um, is offered uh, at the same level that it would be law- offered here in, in, in Cook County. I think protecting the children of um, folks throughout the state are as important as protecting the children of, uh, of Cook County. Um, one more area I want to touch on, and that has to do with uh, one more level up, uh, and that's in Washington. How much do you see the job is of, about protecting the state from decisions that might come down from the White House or from Capitol Hill. You know, let me say this, Craig. Um, I think, and I'm not saying this because I'm running for attorney general now, but I think the role of attorneys general, not only in the state of um, Illinois, but throughout the country, are more important today than they've ever been in American history. And I'm not, I don't think I'm exaggerating. Um, I was at a, recently at an American Bar Association conference where Sherilyn Eiffel, uh, the head of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, was speaking. And she said it, it used to be that the uh, Attorney General of the United States and the Department of Justice would come into the states and protect the citizenry uh, from the overreach of state governments. Now the roles have shifted, and it's attorney generals, attorneys general of the states that are protecting access to health care, protecting a woman's right to choose, protecting us against environmental uh, violations that would, uh, polluters who would uh, pollute our water or our air, uh, protecting us most recently uh, against a mass dissemination of blueprints for undetectable 3D assault weapons that could be brought into our schools, courthouses, or, our, or on our airplanes. Uh, my opponent says some of these lawsuits, these lawsuits filed by attorneys general throughout the country are, are political. I don't think it's political. Uh, as a cancer survivor, I don't think it's political uh, to protect one's access to health care. Access to health care three years ago saved my life uh, from the same disease that took my father, and who was just happened to be a community physician who believed in health care as a human right, took Prostate cancer took his life and both of my grandfathers. Um, having access to health care saved mine. I don't think it's political to fight for that. Is it? A, is this in some ways a a war between the states and 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 the federal government? Has it gotten to that stage where where the states are for being forced to uh, to band together? And and then you have some states that don't want to be there. I mean, Texas is not going to be part of any one of those efforts. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I, you know, I've met a lot of the uh, uh, attorneys general from throughout the state. I've, I've, uh, I've gotten to know them. And um, uh, today, more than any other time, they've had to band together uh, to fight important uh, fights. I think protecting us from 
people being able to get through metal detectors with assault weapons is an important fight to wage. Um, it's one that uh, not even the NRA could back back up Donald Trump on. Um, you know, it, it was Democrat attorneys general who filed the case to get the restraining order. Uh, that's an important fight. That's not political, Craig. That's an important fight. And it's a fight that is uh, not over yet. Uh, but you uh, are listening to State Senator Kwame Raoul. He is a candidate for Illinois Attorney General. Thank you, Senator, for being with us and sharing this half hour. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our cop podcasts on radio.com. Uh, I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, yet another mayoral candidate, I think. Uh, and I hope you will be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.